Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jeremiah said the exact same thing. Isaiah basically said the exact same thing. The Apostle Paul would have said the exact same thing. Not qualified. I'm not, no, Lord, there's somebody better. And he's like, I'm looking, I want to use you. I want to use you. Is it true that there is somebody better? Probably. (laughs) Probably. However, if God comes to you, it's because he wants to use you. Because he sees potential in you that you're probably not aware of, and that's actually not a bad thing. If you feel like you just aren't qualified to do God's will, well, you're right. You're also in the company of some of the greatest figures in all of Scripture. As we continue our study of the heroes of the faith found in chapter 11 of Hebrews, every single person on this list was unqualified. If you look at some of their sins, you'd find murder, adultery, idolatry, stealing, greed, among many other offenses. It wasn't their credibility, position, or talents that God saw in them. It was their faith and humility in serving Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Maybe to most of Israel, she probably doesn't matter all that much, at least at this time. But for two spies and for one leader named Joshua, Rahab's pivotal. She is absolutely pivotal to the whole story, to the success of this military conquest. It's amazing. Praise God for Rahab's. Praise God for the ones that society ignores or overlooks, who think like, we'll never have to worry about them. Praise God for individuals like that. Because that's exactly who God's looking for to use. And here's Rahab, like, I've heard of you, God. Um, I've heard of the stories. And oh, yeah, by the way, um, I know he's coming with judgment, and I know he can save me. And not just me, but my whole household. She's got faith. That's why she's in Hebrews chapter 11, is because she has faith. As a Gentile woman, she has faith, tremendous faith. Her little story goes on that... um, she, you know, dried up the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. And what you did with the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan and uh, Sihon and Og, whom you, uh, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. So all these other military conquests. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Spare us, is what she's saying. Because she's already letting him know, you're going to have victory. You're going to have victory. She has no doubt at all concerning the Israelites. And them coming up against possibly the most fortified city for sure in all of Israel. And this ragtag bunch of, you know, sojourners just wandering through the wilderness. I mean, on paper, they don't stand a chance. But Rahab's like, you're going to win. 
You're going to win. And when you win, please save me and my family. That's faith. That's incredible faith. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's, again, tremendous woman. Tremendous woman. The men said to her in verse 14, our lives for yours, even to death. If you, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window uh, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills and the pursuers will encounter, or go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father, mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We can't, we can't be held accountable for them. They have to stay in this house. But if you tell this business of ours, they go on to say verse 20, then we shall be guiltless with our respect to your oath that you have made us to swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she went away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed through the hills, remained there for three days, just like she had told them. The pursuers searched all along the way, found nothing. Two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told them all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants, inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So this is a really cool story with Rahab as she makes this deal with these guys and they tell her like, okay, look, so here's what you need to do. Outside of this window that you're using to rescue us, tie that scarlet thread. And she did it immediately. She did not wait. Okay, that's key to this text. Because there's going to be days that, that go from when they get back to Joshua, they will start making their way to Jericho, but they don't show up the next day. There's days that happen there. But I love that she was like proactive, that as soon as they went down, she tied that, red, that scarlet rope outside of her window immediately. She acted upon it, which is just a great thing to do. Don't wait till the last minute. Do not wait till the last minute. Man, if you know that this is what's going to save me, then, then you, you, you do what's necessary. It's the same thing with us and with salvation. And we know that the blood of Christ saves us. So don't put it off. It's, it's just illogical to put it off until the last minute, right? Like, no, tie that scarlet thread around your heart immediately. And that's what she did. And then she has to wait. But what's crazy about this when you really start processing this story is that she has to get her family into the house. So her family has to believe her mom, dad, sisters, brothers, they have to believe her. So she has to go and communicate to them. Now take, this is either her house or this is her dad's house. I don't know, but she's got to get her family into that house and they have to stay. They have to stay because if they leave and the Israelites show up and the walls come falling down, the Israelites are not responsible for their deaths. But there was an arrangement that was made. And so what I envision in my head is that she starts telling all her family about Yahweh, about God. And this one who has everybody in, in, a, in, like, in this fear mode, 
she's letting them know, like, he's going to save us. He's going to save us. He's going to rescue us. But we have to stay here. We have to stay here. They had to trust Rahab. And I I see her story, and it reminds me immediately of John chapter 4 with the woman from Samaria that Jesus hung out with at the well. Because he spent time with her, and he talked to her, and he, he told her everything about her life. And then she ran away from him into the village and told everybody the Messiah is at the well. I found the Messiah, and he's told me everything about me. And the whole village came out to meet Jesus. And they're like, well, we believed her, but now we really believe you because we see you and we're hearing from you. And, and a revival took place. Another underdog, another woman, Samaritan lady, Overlooked by society, and God's like, you're perfect. I'll use you. Oh, Rahab from Jericho? Perfect. Got a plan for you. Want to use you. None of us are disqualified in that regard. There's nobody like, God's like, well, if you were a little bit more qualified, maybe I could use you. Like, that's not how it works. He's not like you're submitting your resume to God, and like it's through Indeed or something, and he's just like, well, not quite qualified enough. That was like me trying to apply at UTMB when I moved here. I'm like, I'll clean animal cages. I know I'm qualified to clean animal cages. And they're like, eh, not really. I'm like, what are you, are you kidding me? Like, whatever, not qualified. God looks at us and he's like, yeah, yeah. And it's usually when you're in that mode of like, I'm just, why would you want to use me? I'm not qualified. And he's like, perfect. That's exactly who I was looking for. And so once you're like, I think I am qualified, God's like, well, pass, hard pass, right? <laughs> like, no, because you don't want to share the glory anyways, right? But here's Rahab, faithful, and this act, which saved her, which also saved her family, big picture-wise, she gets used to be part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, which is crazy. Crazy, because she's going to meet this dude from Israel, right? This Hebrew guy, um, and they're going to fall in love, and they're going to have a baby. And that baby's name is, uh, is Boaz. And Boaz is going to fall in love with this other Gentile girl named Ruth, and then they're going to have a baby. And then that one's going to, and then they're going to have a baby. And then, and then there's David. Then there's David. It all goes back to Rahab. And what's her husband's name? Salmon, something like that. S-A-L-M-O-N, Salmon, or Salmon, if you're one of those people. I don't know. Salmon, Salmon, whatever. Um, but from them, you get a Boaz and a Ruth, and then you get David, and then you, go, you just look through Matthew's genealogy, and then you get Jesus. Then you get Jesus. Also part of that genealogy, um, Uriah's wife. And that's how she's labeled in the genealogy. No disrespect to her. It was David who was king who took Uriah's wife. Her name's Bathsheba. But another one, not, wait, you can't. And God's like, no, that's exactly who I want to use. That's who I want to use. So you, you have no right to disqualify yourself in that regard. Now, sin will disqualify us for sure, okay? But we can't like remove ourselves from the house of God, so to speak. And I'm thinking, um, I think it's 2 Timothy where Paul talks about that, the the, the vessels in the house of God, and God will use vessels within the house of God. Um, he, he wants to use clean vessels within the house of God. So we, we need to be clean to be used by him. 
Um, but you don't get to say, I- I'm not qualified. I mean, we will say that. You will say that. I'm not worthy. I'm not qualified. Because you're going to fall just in line with Moses. Moses said the exact same thing. Jeremiah said the exact same thing. Isaiah basically said the exact same thing. The apostle Paul would have said the exact same thing. Not qualified. I'm not, no, Lord, there's somebody better. And he's like, I'm looking, I want to use you. I want to use you. Is it true that there is somebody better? Probably. (laughs) Probably. However, if God comes to you, it's because he wants to use you. Because he sees potential in you that you're probably not aware of. And that's actually not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. So there's Rahab. And so they go... And then, so here's what has to happen, the chronological order of this thing, right? So Israel has to cross the Jordan River, another miracle, right? The water gets held up, and then they cross the Jordan River, which is much smaller than the Red River. I get it, but it's still a miracle, because they cross over this thing on dry land. So they go from there, and then that's when the 12 stones of remembrance, that happens, okay? So then you have that, and then you have, um, you got this whole, like, you know, circumcision party that happens, um, the worst party ever in the world. Um, that's in Joshua chapter five. And they all got to be circumcised, this new generation. But then they all get circumcised, take time to heal. And then it's Passover, the first Passover with Joshua as their leader. So then they go through that. And then here's the craziest story. Right before Jericho, right before Jericho, you can even flip over to Joshua chapter five, verse 13. When, jo- when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Okay, so jo- there's Joshua, maybe looking at Jericho, kind of like, because he's a good military leader, and so he's probably checking it out and thinking, you know, sizing him up. And then he just looks, and there's this, there's this man there with the sword in his hand. Okay. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you for us or are you against us? And this guy says, neither. Neither. He says, no. But I'm the commander of the Lord, of the army of the Lord. What? I'm the commander. He says, now I have come. And, and, and at that word, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. He worshiped. He paid homage and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And that's all we get. (laughs) That's insane. That's so crazy. You're like, whoa, this is like the start of the raddest, the craziest story ever. And that is all you get. What happened next? What happened next? Go find Joshua in heaven. Be like, dude. You have to tell what what happened next? Why did you cut it off there, Holy Spirit? Like, what's going on? That was Jesus. The commander of the Lord army, that's Jesus. That's no angel. I hope we know that. Because Joshua fell down and paid homage. He paid respect. Technically, the word there in the ESV is he worshiped. If it was an angel, the angel would not have allowed the worship. Joshua falls down on his face in front of this guy who out far outranks him. And even addresses him as Lord. And I get it. Sometimes in, in the angels, angels showing up, they are addressed as Lord and all that good stuff. I understand that. But within the context of the story, Joshua worships this guy. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, stop worshiping me. He never corrects him. And then he goes on to say, he's like, dude, take off your sandals. You're in a holy, you're in a holy place. 
This is uh, what we call a, um, uh, you know, when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Um, I, the, the term slips my mind right now. It'll come back to me eventually. But um, this, is, uh, this is where Jesus himself shows up. And he shows up and he's got a sword in his hand. And then there's Joshua, just like you four against us. Jesus is like, I don't think so, buddy. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. I, I'm neither. I'm neither. Which I, I can't even imagine how that must have made Joshua feel. As he's like, he knows he's standing in the presence of somebody pretty amazing, right? And he hasn't even told him, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. That's, that's when he falls to his face. But there's Jesus, pre-incarnation. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and I told you, it would come to me. Of Jesus... And maybe serving as that last little bit of encouragement for Joshua as he's looking at the enemy stronghold. Crazy. Chapter 6 of Joshua. This is the second part of that Hebrews. Those those two verses we talked about. Technically, it was the walls falling down first and then Rahab. But I want to cover Rahab's story. Uh, But here in in Joshua chapter 6, this goes pretty quick. So verse 1, it says Jericho was um, shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. So they completely sealed off the town completely sealed it off. They knew they were coming, and then they could probably see them in the horizon as they crossed the Jordan River. And they're like, here they come. Because this is a lot, this is a ton of people. It's like a million people marching towards you. You're going to notice that, right? And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Right? So here's this, this is where it reminds us of Revelation with the seven seals and the seven, uh, you know, the seven bowls, and it's just this complete judgment kind of thing that's going on here. And God tells him, he's like, all right, here's what you're going to do, Joshua. You military general, you, um, you're just going to take your guys and you're going to walk around the city one time. You're going to take a lap just around the city. He's like, that's it? That's it. Okay. Uh, for six days, you just one lap around the city. That's all you got to do. He's like, okay, seventh day, we rest? No, no, you don't rest. Um, seventh day, you go seven times around the city and then the priests are going to blow on those ram's horns and then everybody just shouts. And you win. And that's it. He's like, I'm supposed to tell this to my soldiers? Like, I'm supposed to, okay. What I love about Joshua is that he's just like, cool. Well, that sounds fun. Never heard of that one, right? God's never, never done it that way before. Okay. And that's their, that's their, their orders. And, and what's so amazing about this, I, I know like sometimes you, you hear about this story and you think, I mean, there are people on the walls and they probably were hurling insults at them and they're like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, we're afraid of you guys? You don't even know what's going on. All you're doing is marching. But what we also know about this is like, if you've got a million people marching around your city, you know, for like seven days, that's going to still be kind of intimidating. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Um, but it's like this, the whole group is going to be marching around. So that's their, that's their, their orders. And they, they do that. Verse 6, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to him, take the ark of the covenant and the, the let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. 
And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following him. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. So if anything, it was just like psychological warfare, right? They're like, oh, turn off the, horn, the, the trumpets, right? The people of Jericho. That's all they could hear is the horns. They're going around and they're blasting the trumpets and all this good stuff. Um, it says, second day they marched around the city once and returned to, into the camp. And so they did for six days. On the seventh day, they arose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, right? So in one sense, you can see like probably the people of Jericho were lulled into the sense of like, this is all they're doing. Like they're just going to march and this isn't working. This isn't effective. What do we have to be afraid of? Seventh day comes, one lap, two laps, three laps. Seventh lap, Joshua says, shout, and they shout. The city and all, the, that it's, uh, and all its inhabitants within shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. And here's Joshua. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction. That's key for the next chapter. Lest when you have destroyed them, uh, you take away any of the devoted things that make uh, the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver, gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As, uh, as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. It says wall, singular, so uh, it may not have been all four walls falling in, but it could have been just the one, maybe one wall fell in, giving them access into the city, okay? It's probably how that happened. Um, I know like your child stories, it's always like the walls came tumbling down, but technically it's just one. God only needed to knock down one wall to gain access into the city, okay? So that's what happens. They shouted, they did that. The wall came down. And they ran in there, uh, they shouted, the trumpets were blown, the, the wall fell down, we got that. So that all the people went to the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They devoted all in the city to destruction, both men, women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. We don't like this part. With the edge of the sword, right? We're like, but why? Well, we could talk about that another time. I don't have any time today to talk about that, but we will, we can address that. But the, to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out um, from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver, gold, vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then Joshua pronounces a curse onto the city of Jericho. But Rahab is saved. Hope, hopeless, hopeless, red for the bro- 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the heroes of the faith in this series, and I have a question for you. Who is your hero? I asked my son that question, and he said that Esther is his hero because what he struggles with most is fear, and she overcame the fear of death in order to save her people. That's what this series is all about. We look back into the stories of the people who have gone before us in order to see what God is able to do with people who are just like us. They all have weaknesses and failures, but God was able to work through each one of them to accomplish His purposes in the world. And God is able to use you too. You can be weak, you can be fearful, you can be young. It doesn't matter. God is working in the world and He works primarily through His broken and weak people. Thanks for being here today. We love sharing God's story with you. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus and find hope and new life in Him. We'd love to have you come and join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening. You can find out all about our church on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And if the Spirit leads you, find that donation page and join us in the great work of spreading the light of the gospel in this dark world around us. Well, that's all that we have for today, but we'll be back next time right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.